Yeah, thank you. Please be seated. We do want to welcome Dr. Condi Richardson again tonight. I am uh, grateful to have him with us. He's been a good friend for a number of years and uh, a good friend to Camden and a good friend to East Camden, and we are grateful to have him. So, brother, if you'd come and share with us as the Lord would have you. I'm grateful to be here as well. And uh, by the way, the, the music this week has just been really outstanding. Some of you in this room might remember uh, several years ago when uh, uh, Craig was, of course, here at Malvern Hill and I was at Hermitage Baptist and Bobby James was at Watery. Some of you remember during the summer our churches would come together. On a, some, were some of you here then for that? Yeah, a few, yeah some of you were. And uh, June, July, and August, we would have a, a Sunday evening service at, at Malvern Hill or Hermitage or Watery, and, and one would provide the church, and uh, one would provide the music, and one would provide the speaker, and we had, we had so much fun with that. But I remember, uh, I remember Buster, of course, uh, Buster led in, uh, in, in worship at that time when we were doing that, and it was so good, and as inevitably happens in church, things change, Right? Things change, so brother, I'm glad you're here leading us uh, these nights and uh, Sunday morning as well, and it's just really good. And I like the, the little girl that plays the drum over there, and the, that's just really cool. That's really cool. I see you over there. Hey, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that on this Monday night we can be gathered together as, as your church, even though we're from different places, we are gathered together in this, in this building as your church, as, as your people, as citizens of your kingdom, as ambassadors from another place to this place. So, Lord, this evening as we look into your word, I ask that you would give us clarity and understanding. And, Lord, I pray that you would teach us something that we have never heard before. Lord, I, I pray that as we look into these words and these verses in Matthew chapter 6, that may be familiar to all of us in this room, that we would truly see it in some light that we've never seen or noticed before. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Last Sunday night, uh, last night, I guess, was Sunday night, uh, I encourage you to do something. I encourage you to share your, you remember what it was? Yeah, I encourage you to share your story, right? You've all got a story. And if your story involves Jesus Christ especially, I want you to share that story. I want to encourage you to share something different this evening. I, I want to keep in your mind this idea of, of sharing your story because you need to do that until you're six feet under, right? You need to be sharing your Christian story until you're six feet under. But I want to talk to you this evening about sharing your resources, okay? God has given you resources, and I, I want you to share your resources. I, I talk to my church about this a lot, and, and I just want to share this with you this evening because this is heavy on my heart, but I, I want you to be aware that God has given us resources so that we can share those resources, so that we can do things for the kingdom and, and we can do good works. The truth is, in the United States of America, we, we have a very very, very weird relationship with prosperity. We have a very, very strange relationship with, uh, with stuff, with material things, with resources. I've got a friend that lives out of state, and he told me this story. He said, Condi, we live in a neighborhood, one of those kind of cookie-cutter neighborhoods. And uh, he said, we've lived there for several years. But he said, you know, a few months ago, this, this young couple in their 20s, they moved in. Young married couple. They don't have children. They moved into the neighborhood. He said, actually, just down the road from where we are. And he said, this young couple, he said, I was really impressed. He said, they mailed an invite to a social at their house. They weren't waiting 
for us to get to know. They, they wanted to invite us into their home. They, they wanted us to know that their home is, is open to the neighborhood, and they wanted to get to know us. He said, but then I read a little deeper on the card. True story. This is a true story right here. He said, I read the card, and it said that so-and-so, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so, we invite you to our house for a drop-in on this day at this time, and on the card it said this. It said, your presence is your present. Right? You got it? Your P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, your presence is your present, P-R-E-S-E-N-T. And he thought, hmm. And then underneath that, it said, gift cards are welcome. Okay? How about that? That's pretty gutsy, isn't it? They invited their new neighbors that they don't even know into their home and asked them to bring gifts to give to them, right? For no good reason except that they're new in the community. It, it really soured my friend, uh, but at the same time, you kind of got to tip your hat to them, right? They'll be millionaires any day now. Those people, they'll be millionaires any day now. But it sort of underlies a point that I'm making. In the United States of America, we, we have a strange relationship with resources and, and with money and with stuff. And you may be surprised to hear that Jesus had a lot to say about that. Now listen, he had a lot to say about that. So let me read to you from uh, Matthew chapter 6. This is actually the Sermon on the Mount. These are verses from the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, I want to read through verse 21. Once again, the words are going to be on the screen behind me if you're just so tired that you can't open your Bible and find Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. I'll just read three verses to you. Jesus is speaking at the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Listen, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me say it again. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is interesting because in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus has a lot to say about resources. He brings it up several times. Um, the word won't be on the screen behind me, but in Matthew chapter 6, verse 2, actually the beginning of the chapter I just read, Jesus said, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. There's an assumption there. The assumption in Matthew chapter 6, verse 2, is that we are generous people, right? Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, he's talking to people that are disciples. He's talking to people that are followers. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 2, there is actually an assumption. He's not teaching them. He's not saying, hey, you should be generous. He says, hey, when you are generous, do it this way, right? So when you do acts of charity for the needy, he says, do it this way. Don't announce it with a trumpet, but do it sort of on the slide. So at the beginning of the chapter I just read, there's actually an assumption that God's people are generous people. And there's some part of creation that, you know, we, we were sort of spun out there in some fashion, in some capacity, in some way to do good deeds. It's not how we get to heaven. It's not a way to earn our way to heaven, but we are created to do that. And then you look over in, uh, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 22. He says, the eye is a lamp of the body, and he goes on, and, and, and it's really another reference to generosity. And then when you get in verse 25, he says, it's a great passage. 
where he talks about anxiety. He says, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink. And he says this, great verses. He says, you know, God even cares about like the little birds in the air. You know, you know he, he cares, like, like little birds, they don't worry about what they're going to eat or, wh- or what they're going to wear because God takes care of them. It's a great passage about anxiety, about worry, but it's really a passage about resources. He's letting them know, hey, listen, I, I, I will provide for you. God, God, God will take care of you. So, He brings it up again in the verses that I just read to you a moment ago. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is more than just a set of commandments about money. This is a a listing of uh, of verses that tells us how we deal with resources, how we deal with material things. Now, Jesus was not against us having material stuff. Jesus is not against rich people. Thank goodness, right? You may be a rich person. I don't know you, but maybe you are. Relatively speaking, apparently, as citizens of the United States of America, we are the wealthiest people in the world. You've heard this before, right? I mean, as citizens of the United States of America, relatively speaking, we have a lot more than other people around us. So God is not against us having stuff. God is not against us earning a a nice salary or a nice wage. But what he does in these verses is he gives us a guideline as to how we are to use the stuff in uh, in light of, of the kingdom that we are a part of. And the proof that God is not against material things is this, is when you look in the Bible, you see that Job was a man of great wealth. And then he lost it. And what did God do after he lost it and after he came through with flying colors? He actually gave it all back to him. Pretty incredible thing. God actually rewarded Job by giving him great material resources. And Abram, we sort of think he was this, um, you know, he he was like a like, like a farmer, you know, he was a man that owned a few sheep or something like this. Apparently, he was a man that owned, owned great herds. You look at Solomon and you look at David, they were people that God blessed by, by giving them much. So God is not against us having much, but I want you to understand something. Jesus had a lot to say about how we handle the stuff that we're given. Now, this may blow your mind, but I just want to share this with you. This is a fact. You know that Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven or hell? It's a truth. It's a truth. When you look in the Gospels, Jesus had more to say about money than he had to say about heaven or hell. Well, that should tell you something right there. That should tell you that it's an important topic. And it should tell you that as Christians, if you're in this room and and you are a Christian, maybe you're not, but if you're in this room and you are a Christian, you should have well-formed and well-informed views of material things. And here Jesus is talking about it again. The Sermon on the Mount, it's it's mentioned several times. There's no command against it, but again, Jesus is giving instruction. I want to show you a picture very quickly of St. Francis. I believe it'll be on the screen. There you go. You know that guy right there? You've heard of St. Francis of Assisi. I was in Assisi a few years ago over in Italy, and um, when you go into, it's this old historic town, just this beautiful place. We spent the night in Assisi, the group I was with. And in Assisi, there is this church. And if you go to the basement of the church, you find the final resting place of, uh, of St. Francis. Incredible place. It's great, great big rock. They've got a little, little fence around it. And uh, you can find the final resting place of St. Francis. St. Francis came from the, I believe it was the 12th or the 13th century. He was this, uh, he was this monk, and uh, he, he was committed to giving everything he had to Jesus. I mean, he wanted, he wanted to give everything 
he had to Jesus. So he, uh, he, he, he began to codify these teachings, and today we call them um, Franciscan monks, right? You've heard people talk about them, right? These, Saint Francis, these, these Franciscan monks, they come out of the teachings of St. Francis from, from almost a thousand years ago. And what they do is they wear this robe, and they, wear the, they famously they wear this, um, this rope around their waist, you may know this, but you may not. They wear this rope around their waist, apparently even today, and they've got these three knots in the rope, and the three knots stand for, uh, for poverty and chastity and obedience, right? This is to remind them that as, as followers of the teachings of St. Francis and, and in the spirit of giving everything they have to God, they are sold out to poverty and chastity and obedience. There's a story that's been told of St. Saint Francis. Whether it's true or not, it's a st- I love this story. The story goes that as he began to do his thing, there were these people that started to follow him. These men, they wanted to be monks. They wanted to be monks of the St. Franciscan order. And uh, so they began to follow him, and, and they began to settle in certain places. And they knew how Francis felt about material things. They, they knew that he was, he was against material stuff. He was rabid about it. He was rabid about, about not worrying about tomorrow that God would provide for all their needs. So in one of those monasteries or one of those churches where the Franciscan monks were, were doing their work, there was this traveler that came through town, according to the story. And the traveler comes through town, and, and he stops, and he receives. They're also famous for hospitality. Hey, by the way, churches should be famous for hospitality. Just that, That's a footnote. That's free right there. That's a footnote. That's another sermon. That's another revival right there. So he stopped for refreshment. He stopped for hospitality. And this traveler was very, very wealthy. So when he gets ready to leave this church or this monastery, he takes this little bag of something out of his pocket, and he, and he puts it on a table in the room, and the monk that's in the room with him, he says, God bless you, and he leaves, and the monk walks over, and he opens up the little pouch. You know what's in the little pouch? It's like slammed full of gold coins, and, and the priest is, is like horrified, right, because he touched this bag of money, and he knows how Francis feels about money. So he begins to fear that maybe he did the wrong thing. Maybe he's dirty now, right? Maybe he's dirty because he touched this money, and so he does something. He goes straight to St. Francis, and he says, I need to tell you something. He says, I have touched a bag with gold in it, and, and, and I don't, I don't want to be tainted, right? I, I don't want to be dirty because I touched material things. Hey, these guys were serious about it, weren't they, right? He said, I don't want to be tainted by it. And so St. Francis said, let's go back in the room. They go back in the room, and the little bag of gold is, is sitting on the table. And uh, he says, I, I want you to do something. He tells a monk, he says, I want you to do something with this little bag of gold. And about that time outside the door, This is a really cool story, by the way. You might be scandalized. You may say, I can't believe he told that story. But is it okay if I tell it anyway? I'll tell the story. Outside the door, um, this donkey walks by, right? He's just in the road. This donkey just walks down the road. And the donkey outside the door, he does what a donkey might do in the road, right? He does what an animal might do out in the middle of an open space. You with me? He does that outside the door. And so Francis tells this monk, he says, hey, what I want you to do, he said, I want you to pick up that little bag of gold, 
Don't touch it with your hands. He said, I just, just want you to pick it up with your mouth so that your hands don't even touch the gold. Just pick it up with your mouth. And they walk outside. They open the door. And in the road, the donkey has, has gone on, and he's left something in the road there. And Francis tells this monk, he says, go over, and I want you just to drop that bag of gold in that pile of dung. That's the end of the story. You expecting something else? That's it. He says, I want you to drop that bag of gold in the dung. You know what Francis was saying? He was saying, hey, it's, it's about that important. Now, that's not the lesson I want you to take from it. What, what I want you to understand is that historically, when you look back in Christianity, when you, when you look back at the work of some people, they were really terrified of material things, and, and, and that's not necessary. It's not necessary that we be terrified of material things. It's not necessary that we, that we throw material things away, but it is necessary that we see material things for what they are. God has called us to share our resources, and we should not view them as, as more than they are. We should not view them as less than they are, but we should not view them as more than they are. Let me read some verses to you from Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. And this is more teaching on what he says about how we should view the future in material things. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 through 8. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest, right? He's talking about material things right there, right? He's not saying that material things don't matter. He's saying we should be wise about the way we use material things. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4. It'll be on the screen right there. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. All right? Thanks God give us. We can receive those things with thanksgiving. Turn the page, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. Speaking of material things, this is important. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Hey, Paul came on pretty strong in that verse right there, didn't he? Yeah, he tells us we have responsibilities when it comes to material things. We have responsibilities. And those responsibilities have to do with, with more than, than just doing for ourselves. So when it comes to stuff, when it comes to stuff, when it comes to resources, we are to use these things properly. Do you know somebody in your life that has never reached their potential? Maybe you've got a cousin, maybe you've got a brother, maybe you've got a coworker or a friend, and, and they've, just, they've just never reached their potential. And you ever looked at them and you thought, man, what a shame. What a shame. I've got a friend, we were talking about somebody else we knew in the community growing up. And he said, you know, Connie, the problem with that guy is he grew up wealthy. He grew up wealthy because of his dad's wisdom and hard work. He grew up wealthy, and he spent the rest of his life underachieving. That's pretty hard, isn't it? Spent the rest of his life underachieving. You know people that, that, that just don't reach their potential when it comes to who they are and, and, and what they have? Hey, did any of you do fantasy football? You know what this is? 
You have this sort, this, this sort of fantasy draft. You go out and you, you draft football players, and, and that's your team. And on Sunday in the NFL, when, when, they, when they play, they, uh, they, they, they do something in the game, and they get points, and, and at the end of the day, your team may win or your team may lose. I, I'm in this uh, fantasy football draft, and I've, I've never done it before. About two years ago, the director of missions asked me for the Greenville Baptist Association. He said, I'm doing this thing with these preachers. I want you to be a part of it. You'll meet some guys. It'll be cool. And I said, that's cool. I'll do it. So I did it last year, and I did it this year. But they do a draft, and in the draft, something happened to me that has never, ever happened before. My name got pulled. I got the first-round draft pick, right? I'm never lucky like this. I'm never lucky like this, but I got to pick the first football player, right? And so I began to do this research. I said, who should you draft first in your fantasy football league, right? I did research, right? Instead of preparing sermons, I'm just kidding. Not instead of preparing sermons. I did this research in every single draft. Every single one of those articles I read said the same thing, said the same thing. They said there is this football player, for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and he, this, this guy, he is, he is a lock. He is a lock. You will not lose with him on your team. If you draft Le'Veon Bell in the number one spot, you'll get points every week. And I looked at article after article. I called friends. I may have called a friend in this room. I called a friend up in Pittsburgh that's also in a fantasy draft league. And everybody said, you got to pick Le'Veon Bell. It's a no-brainer. So the day came. We had the draft. All the preachers got together around the table. There were chicken wings and sweet tea and all this. And the clock ticked down, and I had the first pick. And I picked Le'Veon Bell. I know some of you don't care about this, but you know what Le'Veon Bell is doing? He is holding out for more money. All right, we are 10 weeks into the season, and you know how many snaps he's played in the game? Zero. He hasn't played one single play in an NFL game. And he's sitting on the bench in my fantasy team. And everybody says, you ought to dump him and get somebody else. But listen, I'm holding out hope that that guy will sign the contract. I'm holding out hope that Le'Veon Bell, you know what I'm holding out hope for? I'm holding out hope that he will reach his potential. You know what I want Le'Veon Bell to do? I want him to do what he was made to do. And it's tote the football. I want him to do what he was made to do. When it comes to resources, when it comes to financial things, when it comes to stuff, I want to share something with you. Everything you have is a gift from God, and God has called you with all that you have, all that you are, from your health to your resources to property to your bank account to your gifts, all this stuff. God has called you to use everything you have in the service of God Almighty. Now, what he does in these verses, I got to get moving. I, I tell these long stories. I got to get moving. I know we got school tomorrow. What he does in these verses is he gives a negative command and then he gives a positive command, all right? Here's a negative command. Verse 19, negative command. Do not, that's how we know it's, it's negative, right? He begins with do not. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Okay, here's a negative command. Don't value so much, you know, stuff on this earth that will serve you for the next few years, right? Because what happens with those treasures here on earth? 
Well, a thief can steal them. In the ancient world, they didn't have banks like we do now with a, with a big vault. If you had something valuable, you know, may, maybe a, a gold coin or maybe you had jewelry. Maybe mom gave you a piece of jewelry or something like that. And if you had something like that, maybe you put it in a box. And you know what you'd do? You'd, uh, you'd hide it in a room or you'd go out in the backyard and you'd dig a hole and bury it, right? That was, that was a pretty good way to, uh, to take care of stuff like that. And there's this story and uh, there's a story in, in, in the Gospels where it talks about somebody, somebody stealing something from somebody else. He says it right here in this verse. He says, you know, things that are valuable that you have on this earth, a thief can come and steal those things. He can come in, in, in your, your mud house. He can knock a hole in the back of the house and take that box full of valuables out. Or if your valuables are closed, moths might destroy those things. This is a negative command. And what I thought about earlier today um, were the verses in, uh, in, a, in, uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes. This is interesting. Over in Ecclesiastes, the author talks about life. And, and I'm just going to share a few things with you very quickly. He talks about life, and uh, he, he talks about his quest to find meaning in life. And this is what he does. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, he says, I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. He thinks the meaning of life is to gain wisdom, is, is to learn about stuff like that. Then he says in chapter 2, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good, right? So he decides the meaning of life is pleasure, right? The meaning of life is I, I will find all the things that make me feel good. Then he says in verse 3, I tried cheering myself with wine, and embracing folly. Hey, you know people like that. If you went to college, you went to college with some people like that, right? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, right? He decided this is the meaning of life, is to drink and have fun. Well, then in verse 4, he says this. He says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself, and, and I, planted, I planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks. I planted all kinds of, of trees in them. I made reservoirs and water uh, groves of, of flourishing trees. He said, I, I, did, I did all this stuff. I did all this stuff because I believe maybe that was the meaning of life. And then he says this in verse 10. He says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. He says, maybe this is the meaning of life. But the great quote from the book of Ecclesiastes is this. He says, meaningless, meaningless, right? If you got the King James, maybe it says vanity, vanity, right? All this stuff I pursued, right? The wine, the, the good projects, all, all this stuff I pursued, pleasure. He said it was all meaningless, meaningless. And then at the end of Ecclesiastes, he says this. He says, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. He said, this is the purpose, right? Fear God and keep his commandments. He was beginning to understand. He was beginning to understand. Over in Job, Job says this in verse 21. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away May the name of the Lord be praised. Listen, truer words have never been spoken. Truer words have never been spoken than that right there. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. You know the equivalent of that in Camden, South Carolina? You don't take a U-Haul behind the hearse, right? Right? There's no U-Haul behind the hearse. 
There's this little Spanish proverb, and it says there are no pockets in a death shroud. You're not taking any of it with you, are you? Here's a negative command. All the stuff that you may think is valuable right now that you may want to take with you, you will not take it with you. It may be destroyed. It may be stolen. I want to tell you something I've learned in life. Everything I have is a gift from God, and uh, it's a gift from God in this sense as well. It could disappear tomorrow. I live in a house right now, and I make the payments on the first of every month, and I could say that's my house. At one point, the bank will be paid, and it will be my house. But you know what happens if you don't pay your taxes on that house? You won't be in it very long, will you? Right? I live in that house by the grace of God. Let me show you a picture. It was a, uh, a weather event that happened several weeks ago. You remember this right here? You remember this? Were you terrified? Did you cancel church? Did you? Hey, we didn't either. Stay strong. We didn't cancel church either, right? These slugs around me did, though. Yeah, I know. Isn't that terrible? Yeah, some churches in Greenville County canceled church. The people in Camden didn't cancel church. Maybe some of them did. You remember this thing? Remember how terrified people were? They canceled school and all this stuff. We were so terrified. Let me show you another picture. This is the next one. It's, it's the same event right here. This came out a few, <laughs> this came out a few days um, before Hurricane Florence hit. And uh, it, it was showing you, wh- you know, wh- where you might be in trouble, depending on where you live. This is showing you where you might get in trouble. And uh, everybody was talking about this. I mean, everybody was talking about this. And I'm looking at that map, and I'm saying, where, where's Greenville? And, uh, and where's Sumter? And where's Camden? Where's Columbia? Oh, man, those people in Camden, there is, there is a high risk to life and, uh, and, and property. But where I live, there was just kind of moderate risk, right? We look at this stuff, and it scares us half to death. But you know what the people that owned houses on the coast were thinking? Everything's going to end, right? The people that own houses, and maybe you do, right? Maybe you got a place at, at, at Pirate Land or um, Ocean Lake. Yeah, you know, I know, I know, Ocean Lakes. Maybe you got a place at one of those places. But uh, somebody told me not so long ago, they said, you know, Connie, the thing about owning property, the thing about owning a place at the beach or a place in the mountains, this wise man said, I think it's not that we own those places as much as that those places own us, right? It's not that we own those places as much as those places own us. And I said, what do you mean? He said, what I mean is I got a place at the beach, and every time the wind blows strong, I got to run down to the beach to make sure it hadn't blown away. He says, that piece of property has me on a string, right? I don't own it. It owns me. It did hit. It got up into North Carolina, and it hit. And let me tell you, a lot of people lost a lot of stuff, right? A lot of people lost their treasure. A lot of people lost their treasure. Beware. Moths and, and vermin destroy. The thief breaks in and steals. Think about the things that go away. Think about the things that are not eternal. We've got this neighbor a couple of doors down, and uh, they've got four children, and the wife stays home. She, she takes care of the children. She, she's a stay-at-home mom. She runs the kids to school and back and all this stuff. She's a good mom. And I asked her one day, I said, I said what do you do? What did you do um, before you had children? And she said, I was a biologist. And I said, what exactly did you do? She said, I worked in a lab where we, we tested food. 
and we worked on things like expiration dates. I'm kind of fascinated by expiration dates. I really follow them. My wife doesn't follow them, but, uh, but I really follow expiration dates. I like to rotate the stock in our pantry, right? That's just me. I like to rotate the stock, right? I like to put the oldest stuff at the front. And uh, my kids like to open five boxes of cereal. I think you should open like two boxes of cereal at a time and, and eat them down. I'm fascinated by expiration dates. But I've got this joke that I play on her. Sometimes I'll see her in the yard. And I'll say, hey, do you want some ice cream? I've got some ice, fr- some ice cream in the freezer, and the expiration date was, was just a few days ago, right? It's, it's, it's just spoiled recently. Would you like some of this? And she says, oh, stop it. She says, oh, stop it. You know I'm not going to touch that stuff. Those things spoil, don't they? You know how long milk lasts? Have you ever, have you ever accidentally tasted funky milk? Can you use that word in this church? Have you ever accidentally tasted funky milk? I gave milk to my uh, eight-year-old. I guess this happens in every house. I like to tell myself it happens in every house. I gave milk to my eight-year-old one time, and she said, this tastes funny. And I smelled it, and I almost passed out. Somehow, (laughs) Somehow, overnight, that stuff spoils. My wife, before we had children, she was a computer programmer, and uh, she wrote code for this company. And... um, she told me one time, they gave them nice, I mean, good computers, nice, good computers. They gave them these good computers, and, and she told me one time, she said, you know, they give us a brand-new top-of-the-line computer every 18 months. She said, because we're writing code. She said, we have got to be on top of our game. She said, these computers are no good to us after about a year and a half. Speaking of things that, that, that go away, my son is obsessed with video games. He, like, like a lot of you in this room, he's obsessed with video games. And uh, you know how long those video game systems are good for? Until the next one comes out, right? Until the next one comes out. And every Christmas, he has wanted a different one. Thanks for the PlayStation, but I'd like one of those Xboxes. I'd like one of those Wii U or what, whatever the thing after the Wii U is, right? What, 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 whatever those things are, they are only as good. They are, they are only in date until the next one comes out. Did y'all see The Greatest Showman? Did you see that movie? This movie about these, uh, these, these story of P.T. Barnum and this woman falls in love with P.T. Barnum. The problem with P.T. Barnum is he's married, right? And he's got these two daughters. And in the movie, this woman, she's, uh, she's, she's Jenny Lind, right? She's this famous European singer. He gets her to come to America, and he just wants her to entertain. But she wants him to fall in love with her. And she sings this song. It's sort of the, sort of the climax, uh, climactic part of the movie. She sings this song. And she says, I could have the shine of a thousand spotlights. She says, I could have, she says, I could have um, mountains of gold. But she says, what? It would never be enough, right? It would never be enough. Because what did she want? She wanted him. She wanted him all this stuff. I could have all this stuff, but it would, it would never be enough. But why do we want all this stuff? Because we're convinced that it will bring us happiness. We are absolutely certain that the 401k plan, that the bigger salary, the bigger house, we are absolutely convinced that it will bring us happiness. I want to ask you a few questions very quickly. Four questions. They'll be on the screen behind me. Then we'll wrap up in just a few minutes. A few questions. What occupies your thoughts most of the time? Do you know that the guy that won the $1.5 billion lottery bought a ticket like four miles from my church up in Simpsonville, South Carolina. 
You know what everybody's been talking about for two weeks in the town I live in? Yeah, $1.5 billion. Nobody knows who that guy is, but everybody wants to be his friend. What do you worry about most of the time? How do you measure other people? How do you measure other people? What could you not live without? What could you not live without? And the way you answer these questions, they, they may tip your hand a little bit, right? They may tip your hand. They, they, may, they may tell you on the inside what it is that you're in love with. All right, there's a negative command, then there's a positive command. Verses 20 and 21. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Tells them in verse 20, store up treasures in heaven. Right? So, so what he does, he creates this comparison. He says there, there are treasures on earth, and then there are treasures in heaven. And the treasures on earth, they're not eternal. But he says the treasures in heaven... He says, those things go into a bank where, where nothing can ever happen to them, right? They cannot spoil. They will not spoil. They will not be stolen. They're in a heavenly vault. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven. In the last verse, he says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know what we say about the heart? We, the, the heart has to do with love, right? You fall in love with somebody, they, they've got your heart. Or you gave your heart to someone and they broke your heart, right? We talk about the heart in regards to love. In the ancient world, they talked about mind and, and body and, and will and soul. And all, all that's tied up in the heart, right? All that's tied up in the heart. In the ancient world, in the ancient Jewish world, all that's tied up in the heart. He says in verse 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So are your treasures here on earth? Or are your treasures in heaven? Because he tells us the place that you store your treasures in, that's where your heart is. That's where the essence of who you are, that's where it is. So a few months ago, I was in Brazil. And I went down with this mission team for my church and another church in the area. And um, I, I had to, like four different nights, I had to preach with an interpreter. And one night I did this thing. I've, I've, I've did this before at, a, at another church, and actually at Hermitage. And I took this clay pot. There are these verses over in 2 Corinthians where Paul says, we, we are jars of clay, right? Like, we're jars of clay. We don't last forever. And what I did in this uh, Brazilian church service is I put stuff in this clay pot, right, in this jar of clay. I put stuff in there. I put, I put my college ring in there, and I pulled it out, and I said, oh, this ring means a lot for me. A lot of blood, sweat, and tears. This ring is a treasure to me, right? It was in the jar of clay, and I pulled it out, and I had a little slip of paper, and it wasn't real, but I said, um, I said this, this, represents, um, uh, this represents my retirement account. You know, one day I'll have this pot of money, and, and I'll be able to retire, and, and, and this is a treasure for me. And I reached in, and I pulled out like a, like a picture of my family, and I told them about my wife and my three kids, and I said, my family is a treasure 
for me. And I had car keys in there, and I pulled them out. I said, my car is a treasure. I love my car. My car is a treasure for me, and I had keys. I said, this is the key to the front door of my house. My house is a treasure for me. We love our house. And then at the end of the sermon, you know what I did with a jar of clay? I smashed the jar of clay. I took a hammer out, and I hit the jar of clay. And the symbolism is, according to 2 Corinthians, we, we are jars of clay. And one day, this jar of clay will be smashed, right? One day, we'll be six feet under, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, right? One day, we won't be here anymore. And all that will matter is what you treasured. And what I did is from the remains of the smashed jar of clay, I pulled out a little cross. And I said, these other things were little treasures, right? You know, you, you, your family and, and your house and your car and your, your retirement account and, and prestige and image and all these things are treasures in your life in one capacity or another. But when you're dead... When you're six feet under, the only treasure that will really matter at that point is the cross, right? The most important treasure in your life at that point will be that. I think Jesus is, is getting to that in these verses. How we handle our resources on earth, it says a lot about the things we value when it comes to eternity, right? The, these things are tools their resources, they are not to be worshipped. They are not to be valued more than they should be valued. I taught my church this Wednesday night study we're doing. It's a small group I'm teaching. I said, you know, God is missional. And the proof that God is missional is he sent his son Jesus Christ to be with us, right? He sent his son Jesus to be a missionary. And, and, and we are to be missional because this is not our final place, right? If you're a believer, you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. You are an ambassador from the kingdom of God, and, and you, are, you, are, you are living here on this earth. Therefore, we are in the world, but not of the world, right? We're, we're like aliens or something, right? We're, we're like immigrants. Or, we're, we're living here on planet earth, but this is not who we are, and, and this, is not, this is not where we're from. We are citizens of, of the kingdom of God, and when you consider things like resources, we've got to remember that we are not citizens of this place. We, we are citizens of, of an even greater place. And what we do with this stuff tells a story. My family and I went to Disney World uh, around Christmas time, and I want to show you a picture. It's not a picture I took. It's just a picture that I scarfed off the Internet. You know this place? You know Spaceship Earth? Have you been in the golf ball? Have you ridden in the golf ball, Spaceship Earth? I remember as a kid in the 80s getting on this ride. It's the most fascinating thing ever. You get in there now, and it feels like a 30-year-old amusement park ride, for what it's worth. But you get in this ride, and what it does is it's this, it's this ride through time, and it begins with the cavemen, and, uh, and it goes through the ancient Roman times, and, and, and you see the Greeks, and, uh, and you go through the Middle Ages, or Renaissance, all this stuff. And, and then it takes you on into the future, right? You see what the future is going to look like. We'll be traveling to other planets and all this stuff. It's just sort of fun look at history and the future. And while you're riding, there are these speakers on either side of your ears, and the guy's narrating what's going on. And he says something like this. This is not verbatim. Something like this. He says, here we are on this spaceship. He says, we are, we are travelers on spaceship Earth, Right? We are travelers on spaceship Earth. You know, the thing about it is, it's actually not bad theology, is it? 
It's not bad theology because we are. We're just, we're just sort of traveling on planet earth right now until God calls us into eternity. And, and what we do with our resources says a lot about our focus. It also says a lot about our understanding of God. So think about the things in life that are eternal. Well, this right here is eternal, right? God, God's Word is eternal. We know that because He tells us that. God's Word is eternal. Um, God is eternal. We have an eternal place that we're going to, right? One, one place or the other. We believe in heaven and hell and churches like this. There is an eternal place that we'll go to one day. And, and the way we handle our resources says a lot about what we understand of eternity. I want to show you this in closing. I promise in closing. You wondered why I brought this lasso up, didn't you? It's a rope I brought from my house, and I, I did something with it. I, you see this. I painted the end. I painted the end red. And um, I, I was at Brook Green Gardens several years ago. There is a statue, you know, over in the Myrtle Beach area, there's a statue in Brook Green Gardens of, of the fates. It's these three women there spinning this this yarn, and uh, it, is, it is someone's life, right? At the end, one of these, one of these old ladies has a, uh, has a set of shears or scissors, and she's getting ready to cut it. That symbolizes death, right? That's our life. We, we, are, we are this. We are this string. We are this rope. And um, I, I painted the end red because I want to make a point to all of you in this room. Um, this is our life on earth. Now, I'm, I'm not trying to depress you, but you know what the statistics say about American men and women. You know this about our lifespan? Like 77, 78 years. Some of you getting nervous right now, right? Some of you aren't feeling so good right now. But it's the truth. Statistically speaking, um, in this nation, we live to be about 77, 78 years old. Women outlive men. What a ripoff. Men, women outlive men. And, um, and so we've got, we've got this much time on earth right here. And, and, then, and then the rest of this, right, the rest of this rope, this is eternity. But I want you to do something with me for just a minute. I, I want you to imagine something. I know you see the end of it, but imagine that you don't see the end of it. Imagine that this rope just goes on out that door, and, uh, and it goes up to, to the highway, and it takes a left, and it goes down in front of Hermitage, and uh, it keeps on going. It gets to downtown at the post office. It takes a left. And this rope, it goes down in, in front of Fats, and it goes on the interstate, and, and it, just, it just keeps going and going and going. Pretty good representation of, uh, of eternity, right? We've got this much life right here. And, and then after this, we go to one place or another. We, we go to heaven or hell, and there's, there's that, right? There's all the rest of that. But what people do, and what I find myself doing when I'm not careful, is I find myself only thinking about this right here. You know what we do? I'm kind of a math person. I, I, was, I was an engineer before I became a preacher. I'm, I'm an, I like numbers. And uh, what I do sometimes is I think what I want to do is I want to work real hard right here. Stick with me. I want to work real hard right here. I'm going to work real hard, and I'm going to save my money, and then, listen, Right here, I'm going to live it up, okay? I'm going to work real hard right here. I'm going to give everything I have to my job, and then right here, 
that one inch, I'm going to blow it out. And I'm going to have so much fun, and I'm going to enjoy the, the, the fruit of my labor. And when I'm not careful, I forget about all the rest of this, right? All the rest of this. You know, we, do, we like to talk about the past, don't we? We like to talk about the past. We like to talk about things that happened to us, where we came from, what we've been through, what we've done, all this stuff. What we don't like to do sometimes is, is, is we, don't, we don't like to think about the future. But what we do with our resources... What we do in regards to generosity, what we do in regards to, uh, to helping those that are in need, what we do in regards to, to giving to the church, what we do in regards to helping our families, what we do in regards to, to charity and all that stuff, when, when we take those issues on, we are, we are speaking into eternity, right? We're speaking into eternity. And I think as a church in 2018, we, we've got to get our eyes off of this so much, and, and we've really got to start thinking about this. Because investing in people, investing in people through being generous, through giving to your church, through giving to missions offerings and stuff like that, investing in people is investing in, in all of that, right? It's investing in all of that. And Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you gave us everything you had, but you gave of your poverty, you gave us of your only son, your, your one and only son, your only begotten son, and we're grateful for that. Lord, we're grateful that you have modeled generosity for all of us. So, Heavenly Father, I pray at Malvern Hill Baptist Church, these people would, would be generous. I know you have blessed them with much. I don't know many of them personally, but I know the very fact that they live in this area and the very fact they're in this room tonight is proof that you have blessed them in many ways. So, Lord, I ask that you would, uh, that you would help this church to, uh, to take great strides in generosity, to think about eternity, get their eyes off so much things that are in the past or things that may be merely in front of their face. Lord, I ask that you would help this church to focus on eternity. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may tonight feel in some way that you were under conviction because of something that you have fallen in love with that is merely a tool for you to use and have and be a steward over for a while. This evening, if you need to pray,